0: The Australian School of Entrepreneurship is basically a social enterprise that we provide life skills education to Australians all across the country. So we work with about 180,000 Australians every year all around life skills. So things like public speaking, financial literacy, um, emotional intelligence, these skills that you never get taught at school or university. So we basically come and work with schools, universities, corporates, sports teams, um, hospitals, you name it, wherever there are employees or young Australians or Australians in general who need upskilling, we come in and deliver workshops, programs, events to fill that gap about life skills education. I think in terms of who I am, for me, I get the question of why do you do what you do so many times from people of different age groups. And my response is always the same. Jahin is what he wished he had when he was younger. For me growing up, I always, wanted positive role models or role models that would achieve the goals that i wanted to achieve but i didn't have any or if they were at those levels they were much older than me they were like 40 50 and my you know conceived notions were to be successful to achieve your goals you'd have to be 40 50 60 my entire why and the reason i love doing this and i'm so obsessed with my job and everything around it is because i want to be that representation to show that it can be done you know i'm a big believer in the fact that you can't be where you can't see so for me, I want to be that C element. Jahin, we are here. How are you, my friend? I am fantastic. Thank you for having me.
1: Mate, no, Well, pleasure is mine. I have been pretty excited about this. You're a bit of a young gun. There's a there's a lot in that, uh, that mind of yours that I want to like kind of rip apart and play with today, if that's okay.
0: Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm always keen. Like I think conversations and deep conversations, as I was telling you in person, they're amazing. Yeah. So as long as I don't get cancelled after this, I'm okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, mate, you'll have to say something pretty, pretty outrageous to get canceled on the Outperformer show. Um cool. All right. Well, wh- why don't I set a little bit of the theme at um and and a little bit of the context of why I was really excited to have you on board. Outside of the um a lot of the the traits I've seen from you as a leader from our discussions. But the the big thing for me is, you know. There's a lot of accolades against your name. There's a lot of awards. There's, there's, you know, there's a lot that you've achieved. But the, the the School of Entrepreneurship, the Australian School of you've, you're a co-founder, you're CEO. You've built this amazing business amongst all the other things in your world. So I want to just play that as a platform. But before we start talking about your entrepreneurial journey, before we talk about what you've built, um, I want to hear about who is Jahin. So maybe if you can start by trying to answer that question, we'll go from there.
0: Okay, Um, a bit of existential crisis to start us off with. (laughs) I think in terms of who I am, for me, I get the question of why do you do what you do so many times from people of different age groups? And my response is always the same. Jahin is what he wished he had when he was younger. For me growing up, I always wanted positive role models or role models that would achieve the goals that I wanted to achieve, but I didn't have any. Or if they were... At those levels, they were much older than me. They were like 40, 50. And my, you know, conceived notions were to be successful, to achieve your goals, you'd have to be 40, 50, 60. When you're in your 20s, that's just not possible. And so for me, my entire why and the reason I love doing this and I'm so obsessed with my job and everything around it is because I want to be that representation to show that it can be done. You know, I'm a big believer in the fact that you can't be where you can't see. So for me, I want to be that C element
1: wow okay so let's unpick that a little bit before yes. we talk about school so you are role modeling what you wanted to be yes and you didn't have those role models where where were you from what was your story
0: yeah absolutely and just to preface that as well you know i think the phrase role model is very much yeah it's very oversaturated and for me when i say i want to be a positive role model i don't mean it for anyone else like i do, my role model is just for 12 year old me like that is the goal if i impact someone else fantastic if i impact 100 people fantastic but the end goal has always been how can i impact that 12 year old me the person i wanted to be Mm. so how it all started um so i was born in bangladesh i wasn't born in australia i was born in taka bangladesh moved to australia in 2003 with my parents my dad had a really good phd opportunity and it was just like we should go overseas And my mom being my mom, she's like, okay, we'll take the whole family. uh, We'll make the sacrifice. We'll go down. And so uh, moved to Australia in 2003, grew up in Sydney, grew up in the West, the Western Sydney. Um, My entire, I guess, growing up was from Lakemba, so West Sydney to Punchbowl, again, West Sydney and Southwest Sydney now in Liverpool. And so I'm a Westie at heart, Western Sydney guy. Um, For me growing up, it was a lot about. A very typical migrant story as they call it a lot about sense of belonging a lot of looking very different feeling that whole victim mentality Mm. um but yeah sort of like had to grow out of that because i was just like you can't achieve anything if you on if you're always having that victim mentality and that mindset and so i had to grow out of that went to university in canberra out of all places left the west uh moved to canberra i studied optometry why i still have no idea (laughs) (laughs) my my Honest, common answer is always my mum wanted me to do it. Like she was like, it's a safe option. I can marry you off. Perhaps you can see business better. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We can have a lot of puns about eyeballs, honestly. Um, But yeah, I just didn't enjoy it at all in the sense that I think it's a beautiful degree, but my personality never properly meshed with it. And so um, in 2020, in April, I started my first ever company. Whilst at uni, it was like a side hustle I wanted to do on the weekend to be like, you know, I can do something productive whilst being an optometrist. That kind of blew up. Um, I started on TikTok, started creating educational content. Um, and then six months later that company got acquired by the ASC group. And now I'm here at the Australian School of Entrepreneurship. It's been a really random last 18 months. <laughs> That's it is amazing. And,
1: uh, being a Westie myself, you know, we have talked about this a little yeah. bit, but I, I do get it right. And, and, you know, while I'm not a migrant, I still respect that, you, you know, going into environments where you. Aren't around that sort of natural, um, you know, higher performing business, or perhaps the the role models that you might see when you start to put your feels out there. I respect that that's a bit of a journey, but we'll talk about that at Mm. some point. So, you know, you've this acquisition. Tell us a bit more about it because it 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 does paint a little bit about how you've ended up in the role of CEO. Um, There's a lot more to that uh, that story. So let's let's unpick that
0: yeah it was honestly I, I keep using this word it was quite random uh, in the sense that when i started breathe which was my first company like a social enterprise i started all around teaching people public speaking for me growing up i never felt like i had a voice i always felt very shy and very naive being very different to what an australian looked like and i was like why not teach other people public speaking skills communication skills so that if i didn't have a voice i can give someone else that voice and so that's what i started i, I Went into went into it with a mentality that I'm just going to put myself out there. I'm going to post on LinkedIn every single day, Instagram every single day, TikTok every single day. We'll see what happens. And so that was the mindset that I feel like really played a massive role in the whole acquisition period where I kept posting. I was like, oh, I'm doing public speaking education, young people. And then on a random, I think Tuesday, I got a message from the founder of the AAC group, Taj Prabari, who is an exceptional young person. He started his own company when he was 14. So a child genius, child prodigy got an email and it's like hey what would it take for you to do what you're doing in breathe but at the ASC group we're both working with young people we've got aligned goals what would it take and since then it was just conversation after conversation we met in person and then it was just a no-brainer where it was just like I'm running breathe by myself it's exhausting flying around while studying and you know growing up as well it would be great to have support like-minded people who are as energetic about this as I am and so yeah, it was a big no-brainer. And I also asked myself that question where I was just like, would 80-year-old me regret this if I said no? If I said no in this moment, would I regret it? And my answer was yes. So at 22, I said yes, and then took on a role that I'm still learning to this very day.
1: Ah, it's uh, You'll never stop learning, I'd imagine, uh, Jahin. And I, I, I love that about entrepreneurship. It really forces you to recognize that. Um, but Let's talk about some of the recent learnings. So one of the things that instantly came to mind when you were talking about Taj is partnership. Mm. Tell us about what you've learned about partnership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say my biggest struggle in this role has definitely been management and people because um, funny enough, I think most people don't know this, but I, one year ago when I was, you know, studying at university and studying breathe, that was just a side hustle. I've never had a full-time job before this role. This role as CEO is my first ever full-time job. And keep in mind, you've got 50 in your team. Yeah, we've got 50 plus all across Australia and different different roles, full-time, part-time, casual, contracted. Um, So this was my first time ever in a full-time gig. Um, And so I think for the first few months, I really struggled with how do I manage people? Communication, how do people want to be communicated with? Like that was the biggest struggle for me. Um, But what really helped me was when I spoke to Taj and the First time we met was in Melbourne. So I was speaking at EduTech, which is a conference around education. And he was there for a government contract that he had, a meeting that he had. And so we grabbed kebabs at like 10 o'clock at night. We're like, we're in the same place. He's got a flight afterwards. Let's grab a kebab. Let's actually meet in person. And what he said to me, what inspired me to actually join and say yes without any reservations. And it was about partnerships where it was just like, I'm not telling you to come on board as an employee. I'm not telling you to come on board um, to just work for us and work with me. I am coming. I am telling you to come on board as a partner. I want you to have skin in the game where every loss, you feel it. Every win, you feel it. It's like your adopted baby. And when he told me that at a kebab shop at 10 o'clock, I think we were having like chicken or beef kebab, whatever it was, that for me was just like, this is another young person who's incredibly successful telling me something where it's like, this is a collaboration. This is where I come on board and, and I feel when I am a co-founder instead of just being an employee. And so, yeah, it was just a, Quick yes, and I think trust. What I've learned about partnership is the fundamental part about any partnership is building trust. And I had no idea how to build trust other than, you know, on Slack messages and speaking to people. And so I think I've learned emotional intelligence quite a lot, building trust, over communicating, which is actually one of our values at the AAC group, over communicating everything, even the smallest of emails or smallest of details, over communicating and saying, hey, I'm just over communicating. FYI, this is existing or this is happening. So I think over communicating and building trust has really been a huge thing i've learned which you'd think is a normal human quality but i've had to learn it the hard way well
1: it, 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 you'd think it's a normal human human quality for me i've noticed sometimes over communication gets resistance if it's not embedded into a culture you know i've seen environments where people go oh it's just him again he's always telling me something i'm always there on my back and a lot of that comes down to how you how you do it, not just what you're doing through over-communication. And I, I think it's really interesting that you did it over kebabs too because I, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of a good mm. kebab. Um, but uh, if we go back to the partnership piece just before going to over-communicating and, and maybe that cultural piece that I was alluding to, have there been moments that you've been tested around trust um, and where you've really learned what it means to be working together, pulling in the same direction with Taj or anyone else in the group?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best response to that is I am based in Sydney. So my parents live here. I'm mainly in Sydney. South South Asian parents I'm not allowed to leave. Uh, I have to take care of them and all that stuff. Whereas most of our team is in Queensland. They're based in Brisbane. Uh, We've got a second office in Moreton Bay. So not having that daily interaction and being mainly virtual, that was my biggest struggle where it's like, I know who you are. I know you're personally roughly from when we've met, but how do you build trust virtually? how do i tell you please do this and you won't see this as me commanding you or how will you see when me when i tell you this these things that's been my biggest challenge um and you know i think in person intimate conversations and honest conversations help a lot but in terms of you know overcoming that again I come back to that same same word over communicating in a virtual landscape the only way i have been able to build trust is is saying hey i'm just overcommunicating this fyi this is happening or can you please check this or has this happened over communicating again so i think that has been a layer of something I, i've never done before like i'm a very private person like honestly as a person person my personality is very private if i didn't have to have social media i would never have social media that's just the person i am yeah. but i've had to grow and be like no i need to over communicate i can't just expect them to know what's going to happen so i'd say that has been the biggest challenge and i guess how i've been able to counteract that in in, in some capacity
1: was there an aha moment Where was there a moment where you're like, oh i didn't communicate well enough there's Or was someone highlighting to this to you that this is a solution? Like how did it all come about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think think it has been people coming to me, especially my team who I adore. I think they're incredible people, but blatantly sending me an email and telling me, hello, you're not managing our workload or this isn't happening in the way it should be happening or, you know, can you please, you know, do this instead of this? And that's when I realize and have a wake-up call where I'm like, oh, wait, I I I say these things expecting that people understand it, but in reality, I have to over-communicate and actually build systems in place or follow systems that make other people's lives easier. Because I think when you come into the role, my expectation of what a CEO does is you say something and people accommodate for you. That's what I've seen on like Netflix shows and you know <laughs> what other people tell told, told, told me. But in reality, a CEO's role is to make people around you even better it's not them accommodating for you. It's you accommodating for them to be self-managers, to make sure that they can do their task and their project as exceptionally well as possible. You just make their lives better. You create the environment. You, you know, give directions that you feel like could make that 1% better. Um, So I think in terms of aha moments, it's definitely been my team coming to me and saying, hey, this can't be continuing. Otherwise we're going to burn out, like truly communicating with me. Um, And again, it's been a huge wake-up call. I've had some sleepless nights where I'm just like, Do I even know what I'm doing is this the right role like it's definitely been part of the process but yeah it's always been a learning curve and I feel like it's gotten quite better in the last six months or so yeah well that
1: that that imposter syndrome can follow people around for many years mate so Mm. um but it's it's fair to say and if I think about myself at 23 you know doing what you're doing I was still trying to perfect the art of the craft I was working on let alone managing leading other people it's um it's a real testament to um you to to have that trust in from charge in you, right? Um he obviously saw something in you. Uh, what do you think that is?
0: I honestly have no idea. I I think I was just young. I was hungry. I was ambitious. And I was just I just I think for me, like I put myself out there a lot. Like one thing I i did when I was like 18, 19, and this is something is borderline manipulative in, in a sense when I think about it, but I would create a LinkedIn account and I'd post stuff, but I'd always strategically connect with people that I feel like in the future would be helpful for me. So I'd connect with size where I was like, oh, he's he's, he's really good in the youth engagement field. Um, I'd connect with media contacts where I'd like, I would love this producer to see the work that I'm doing. So I'd always put myself out there. and it's, And I think he saw that. He saw like, I had no fear. Mm-hmm. I was just bold. I wanted to take risks. I wasn't insecure about what others would say. And nobody else at that age was doing it. And so I think in that capacity, um, I would say that may be the, the tipping point. But we've never actually had a conversation on what made you actually want to say, you know, be a part of this and join this. So maybe it's a conversation I'll have after this. Yeah,
1: it might be. Well, there might be something revealing in that. Mm. Um, but it's, a yeah, the question for me, the reason I ask it is is as you become self-aware on these things and as people listening to this um, reflect on their own journey, it, it there's little clues that. Decisions leave or you know, good decisions ideally leave, which, you know, in this case, um, you're saying, okay, I'm bold and confident, maybe that was part of it. But let's, you know, you know, only he knows the answer, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so I want to change gears a little bit. Um, but build on the the AC story. So can you tell us a little bit more? So there'd be some people listening to this who don't know the school um and don't know what you do. Can you tell us a little bit more about practically what the business does and the strategy of the business and where it's going
0: yeah absolutely so without sounding any without without sounding pitchy or um salesy the australian school of entrepreneurship is basically a social enterprise that we provide life skills education to australians all across the country so we work with about 180 thousand australians every year all around life skills so things like public speaking financial literacy um, emotional intelligence these skills that you never get taught at school or university Not because it's a fault of their own. You just don't have time. Teachers can't make the time. Lecturers can't make the time to say, I'm going to teach you communication skills or what to do when you have to go grab a coffee or emotional intelligence and empathy. There's no time for that. So we basically come and work with schools, universities, corporates, sports teams, um, hospitals, you name it, wherever there are employees or young Australians or Australians in general who need upskilling, we come in and deliver workshops, programs, events, to fill that gap about life skills education,
1: mm, okay, interesting. And and you know, your your statement
0: about not having
1: time or, or not being able to to service that gap, so true. I you see this so often for young mm. younger employees coming through the workforce, and even older employees. To be fair, that just haven't really developed yeah. those communications and softer skills. And there's a huge marketplace there. When you when you describe it as a social enterprise, uh, what's the model look like, and and financially, where do you distribute? The returns?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of our business, point, I would say currently, we're like 50% government funded. So, we work with state government, federal government. Uh, for example, we just worked with the WA government on their um, WA youth strategy. So, we worked um, all around doing consultations and workshops that will impact 540,000 young Australians in WA. Um, and, f- and another example is we work with like the Queensland government on energy literacy. So, how can um, young people and working with the minister? create solutions in their community about energy problems and create businesses to tackle that as, as young as you know 12 years old, 13 years old. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the, the one side where we're completely government funded to make sure that young people and young innovators can start their own businesses to make sure local problems in their communities are addressed, which from a national point of view addresses national issues. Um, and in the, the other side, it's obviously... Uh, working with different corporates. For example, we work with Westpac quite often uh, for the Westpac Youth Impact Challenge, all around teaching 75,000 young Australians financial literacy. So it's fully funded by Westpac to go into some of the most rural, regional, underprivileged communities of young people and schools and teach them financial literacy, how to manage their money, how to do taxes, which evidently, hopefully, will allow them to start side hustles or start their own business and then create social change in the local communities so that's sort of how we work um in, in that capacity empowering and upskilling them so that not only they come to the workshops or programs but afterwards we can support them as our alumni um give them mentoring so that those businesses can generate revenue over time
1: i love that it's um and i've reflect back on, on my youth and that literacy might have been taught in maths, mm. maybe a little bit, you know, you're gonna know, learn a bit about tax and those sorts of things. But or maybe if you did a business class, you'd learn a bit. But really, you know, there's there's a massive gap there. Mm. Um and I wonder you sound like a passionate guy and you would you'd have a handful of these up your sleeve. But what, what's the story of, you know, a really good example of a student or or an example of the impact of the work you guys make?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean before I give you any stories I'll give you the example of me like for example when I went through school um I was a very A grade student like I was book smart I was doing really well I could study maths english science I was A grade like the top student like basically so really good I thought like I had my life ready I'm, I'm good good to go got a high ATAR fantastic got my university offer moved to Canberra the moment I went to university I realized I don't know how to talk to people I'm good memorizing things and rote learning but I can't make eye contact with people. I didn't know how to make eye contact until I was like 20 years old. I had none of those life skills. And I realized that's depressing. Like my first year of uni, I went to no events, no parties, no networking events because I was afraid. I was in my one room um, in Canberra, which I had no idea of anybody who lived there. And that was my life. And I realized I had no life skills. And so that's sort of my why and push to be like, I don't want anybody to to not take education seriously, absolutely, get a good mark, do best you can in your assessments and tests, but also realize extracurricular stuff, those life skills, that development is very, very important. And so in terms of examples who've gone through our programs, um, in terms of recency bias, I'll give you one example of one of our Sydney alumni. So her name is Anisha, she's 16 years old. She went through one of our programs um, from our school in in Sydney. Um, It was like a very, you know, a very typical leadership program that we were brought in for adaptive leadership, teaching them communication skills, but also how to be a uh, leader in the modern day generation. Um, so I did that program. I actually went down and delivered it myself because of um, you know I was available on that day. She came, delivered it, and then she came up to me afterwards during lunch. She gave up her lunch, came up to me and she's like, I- I'm starting a business right now. It's called Safety Shadow. It's all about uh, emergency technology. If somebody gets lost in the snowy mountains, for example, this emergency technology will support them and save them. And I was like, how old are you? She's like, I'm 16. And then I was like, okay, let me support you. You know, I want you to come to our Growth Academy, which is our alumni mentoring part of the Australian School of Entrepreneurship. Fast forward about six months. As of today, she's one of our lead facilitators that works at the AEC. So we hired her and she facilitates better than I do. The way she delivers workshops with young people as a 16-year-old entrepreneur still at school, she literally... Finishes school and then comes to the workshop venues, changes her clothes, and then starts facilitating. She's in, impeccable. She's got a website now. Her LinkedIn is growing. She's sixteen years old. Who we went through one of our leadership programs. Outstanding,
1: outstanding. That's that's a, a a massive testament to 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 her and you. Um, and you don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. What's what I what I'm curious about because that's a, that's that's part of what I think could potentially you know, be part of your secret source, right? To, that you're alumni become part of giving back to the community. And it sounds like you've got a really big community play. Are there any stories that are perhaps not quite as um, perhaps advanced, but still a good turnaround? You know, those stories where you're like, well, I'm really proud, didn't necessarily become the top top class. But wow, that learning has really changed the way they look at the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the person that comes to mind is one of our Queensland alumni. So his name is Mo. Um, so Mo went through one of our programs called Create Your Future Job, which is all around going to underprivileged communities and uh, providing them support on how to start their own business so that they get off like Centrelink or the need for that. Um, so Mo started a lawn mowing business, which is a very difficult business to do. It's a very community oriented business. So he started that off, which is great. Um, you know, that was his passion. That was his joy. And we thought, you know, that would be the scale at which he would, you know, operate in and that would be his business. He completely ditched that afterwards and then started a barber business like cutting people's hair so he was the remote barber who would go all across queensland cutting people's hair after that you know we were like oh he's going to start a barber business then he would start his own shop and then he got accepted into a barber academy which he got a scholarship for to join and now he's learning how to actually cut hair properly um, instead of just from a business point of view but actually taking that more i guess linear corporate route so i think for me when i look at these stories We always have expectations that this might be the business that they start, they become the next billionaire from this. But then you realize our goal is never to make them entrepreneurs. Like even though with Australian School of Entrepreneurship, the goal is never for them to be business owners. The goal is for them to have the entrepreneurial mindset, Mm -hmm. the skills that they can transfer, whether they want to start their own business and do it for 20, 30 years, whether they want to ditch that completely and go into a corporate job, but know how to talk to their managers and, you know, be a really good employee. That's the goal. Those mindset skills that, again, you don't get taught at schools or universities, but that's what provides you with the energy, the oomph to be like, "I want to achieve that goal." The goal will change, you know. the 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 goal posts will continually, continuously change, but those skills, they can't be, you know, they can't be replicated unless you actually go and learn and, you know, truly, um, you know, foster those over time.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, mate. Right? And that's that evergreen uh capability is is you know it's it's
0: something we have we've
1: had people in their 60s in, in that chair that you're sitting in now i've worked with people like that and who still that embrace principles that are mm. fundamentally around the way they think and the way they make decisions and the way they look at the world that just make it easier for them to navigate and there's some really unhealthy unhealthy um you know ways of thinking that come as a result of the environment they're in in times and and for them to be able to make decisions mm. in isolation to that whether that means i don't start a business or, or start a corporate or move through a career or whatever it is it's to give them the agency and the control to be effective in that it's amazing and you mate mo clearly like to to cut things generally he went from cutting lawns <laughs> to cutting hair so uh you know why not in uh, why not uh, follow through with uh, the mindset of cutting uh, anything else in his life but i love it it's awesome um mate i'm 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 really curious you know just to go back into your head again, you know, so I think for anyone listening, I see here a twenty three year old who's a high degree of energy who's able you know confidently to throw themselves throw into the lines to to go into a situation here that you know for many at your age just just couldn't contemplate. Uh, you're running a team of 50 building a, an amazing um set of partnerships and relationships with the government with large organizations to de- delivering uh, significant work programs there's a, there's a fair bit in that that many would go wow like that's a lot um and you know 23 mate hats off to you for that i i'm i'm personally in awe um but i i want to go back into your head because there's there's things about you that clearly make that either either easier or that you've had to to deal with that um mean that we, you know, regardless of whether we're 30, 40, 50, we can still learn from you. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about, um, to me offline, being the chameleon, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about how you've learned from a communication point of view, We're a shy guy, and you teach communication, you teach these soft skills. What is it, what is it about communication you've learned that if people can embrace it, it makes them very effective?
0: Yeah. I think for me, we obviously teach a lot of life skills, but I've always been on record to say the most important life skill or career skill or any skill that you learn is how you speak, is your communication skills. And the reason I think it's incredibly important is because communication is how we relate to each other as human beings. Take everything like money and all these things aside, for us to feel fulfilled after a long day is when we realize I've communicated my needs to other people and those needs have been met. That I think is is the essence of living that's the essence of you know being a human being and so from a career point of view i realized if i want to work with different industries and my goal at the ASC, my vision has always been i want to upskill every single industry it doesn't matter if we're just working with schools universities i want to work with children with disability for example i want to work with people from low socioeconomic backgrounds i want to work with you know americans for example like that's the goal every single industry and when i had that vision, I realized I need to know how to talk to every single industry and tailor my communication in different ways. For example, if you work with young people, you have to be—you have to almost earn their respect. You go into a room of you know school kids who are in year seven; they won't take you seriously. They don't care who you are. You have to go in there and be like, "Hi everyone, happy Monday. My name is Jahan. This is what I do. I've been on TV. That's when they take you seriously. Hmm. That's I've their, been on TV. That's the cred <laughs> value where they're just like, "Oh, you've been on TV. I want to take a photo with you afterwards." that's the, you know, that you have to know how to communicate with them. Whereas if I go into a room with, you know, 40 year old Deloitte managers, they already respect me because I'm already there as a facilitator. I'm there delivering a workshop. They already, that that level of respect is already there. They're not going to disrupt the room. They're going to listen to you because they're like, I'm here to learn. I'm here to be upskilled. I'm just going to learn. And then from there on, the, the respect will either be increased or if you do a bad job, it'll be decreased. But that that learning, that chameleon sort of approach where I need to know how to talk to each community or each group has really helped me a lot because when I go on sales calls or partnership partnerships meetings, I change my approach every single time. I always at least keep 15 minutes before every meeting to do a background check. I check their LinkedIn, I check their website, I check news articles if they've ever done something, what their company looks like so that I can actually go in and be, be prepared with the context but also how will I approach it? So somebody who lives close to me, I'm not going to go in and be like, hi, how are you? I'm going to be like, hey, mate, we live right down the, d- down the road, like that rapport building. So I think that's been incredibly valuable for me in the sense of building relationships, building a brand, knowing how to speak to different contexts and respecting that, respecting that one shoe size doesn't fit all communities, one shoe size doesn't fit all perspectives, being able to cater for each individual, which don't give me wrong, takes effort, takes time, but I feel like that's what has given me, you know, the, you know, the disproportionate outcomes, outputs at this young age. Mm, it's a massive competitive edge.
1: Do you think that came from? You know, while you said you were shy, do you think that any that relates to your upbringing? Does it relate to the fact that, you know, we talked offline about growing up in Western Sydney? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, there's times where I was, you know, in a football game, or and the the, the nature of my communication was very different to at school or or perhaps if i went into you know other programs went to university different environments forced me into Mm. that did you notice that as a as a young guy
0: yeah absolutely i mean when i was a very shy kid growing up um you know in a sense when you're shy and you're introverted it's always been seen as something bad you know you always look at the extroverted confident loud person as 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 a good person that's the person you want but i realized when i was growing up and i still don't see it as a weakness, but when I was shy, I learned to listen really well. When I don't talk, I'm always listening, and my mom always has this saying where she's like, "God gave you um, two ears and one mouth. Listen more than you speak." Um, now it's a little different because I, I talk a lot for for a living, um, but I think those listening skills has helped a lot. Where even when I do partnerships school, partnerships calls, yes, I'm focusing on communication, but I'm also in a way focusing on things like nonverbal communication. Like you won't find anybody who observes body language like the way I do. Like anytime I have a conversation in person, on Zoom, virtually, I am like almost psychoanalyzing people's body language, how their eyebrows look, when I say something, how how does their mouth twitch, mm. all of these things. And I've learned that from a young age because I didn't talk when I was young. I was scared. I was nervous. So I just sit there and watch, watch their arm movements, watch their body language. So I think that has helped a lot where for me to go into even the toughest of meetings, for example, or toughest of communications, I would take a step back, a seat back and just observe people's body language and then respond back in the way I want to respond. But giving me that space, that silence, that nonverbal communication observation, that's been, I guess, something I used to think as a weakness of not talking, being shy. But now I realize it's actually helped me develop those subconsciously.
1: Yeah, I love it. So the listeners at home or anyone you know, driving their car or whatever, they listen to the podcast, what's a, like, give me, give me a practical example. Even if it was a recent conversation, someone last few weeks or whatever, you've noticed something and you could see what they were needing to achieve and you helped a, a better outcome as a result. What, what's a practical body language piece you look for?
0: I think the two things that always come to mind, uh, number one is their arms, their arm gestures. You know, whenever I'm having a one-on-one conversation, you can observe the nervous energy through the arm placement. So um, recently I was having a chat with someone um, about some sort of collaboration and they wanted to catch up and I could see they were very confident when they came in, very high bubbly, but the moment they sat down, I, I could see their arm movements, you know, constantly moving, their fingers constantly twitching and we were having really good conversations, a very confident conversation, but I could not stop noticing their their, their fingers. It's like they're thinking of something that that their mouth is not being reflected of. And then I was like, by the way, like, we can have a very transparent conversation. Is everything okay? Is there something you want to mention? That's when I saw that actual fingers stop moving. They put it on the table. They're like, okay, I need a job or I need to change my job. Like, that's when the honesty came out. So I think arm gestures and hand gestures has been a huge one. And the second one is eye contact. I think... Eye contact is a very difficult thing to do. It's a very difficult human skill because you know it's like how how am I even making eye contact? Is it is it making you uncomfortable? Am I staring into your soul? Like yeah. it's, it's a very overthinking type of thing. But Correct. making eye contact, especially virtually, yes, I can tell exactly when someone's you know not paying attention when they look at another tab or look on their phone. Like. It's so easy to tell about eye contact virtually. So I try to pick up those things and be like, is this boring you? Or is like, especially with my team, I try to I mess around a little bit. like, is this conversation boring? You're looking at a phone. They're like, no, no, it's just other tab. I'm like, I'm just messing with you. Relax. It's just subconsciously, I psychoanalyze body language and nonverbal communication so much and that's what we do what we do for our public speaking training and workshops where we don't just focus on what you're saying as the public speaking skill we're focused on how you're saying it engaging people for the duration of your speech or communication or even if you go on a date for example like all these life skills that's the focus like the things that you don't talk about or the things that are usually unspoken about
1: they give you a, an advantage to be more effective in that environment absolutely i love it the um i wonder is he, you know, through our discussion, we talked about Steve Baxter, had a bit to do with you, um, very successful entrepreneur. When you've observed communication of others, so very successful people, and you've had a bit of exposure to quite a few people, but just, just as an example, whether it's Steve or others, what have you noticed about them, whether around their communication, around the things that you
0: look up to? Again, I have two responses to that. Number one, some of the most successful people I've realized are just incredibly confident they own their own style and personality. Like, for example, I've, I've seen Steve and his body language. I've, we recently spoke to Mark Randolph, who's the co-founder of Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like a hero, Netflix, it's crazy. But one thing I've observed is they own their style. You usually were taught things like uh, when it comes to body language and stuff, there's a, there's a certain way to exude confidence. You have to, you know, chest high, you know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then when I spoke to both of them, for example, two really good heroes of mine, you realize they don't always have their chest out like, you know, like this or, you know, their arms are open all the time. They just own their personality. They own their posture. And that's what exudes the, the, the confidence. And so I think that's been a huge one where I've realized confidence is the, the trait that I see. And number two, I've realized they're just human beings as well. You know, you put people on such huge pedestals thinking, oh, they're this alien type thing where it's like they're inhumane, they're top 1%. Then you have a conversation with them and they all go through imposter syndrome. They all go through doubt. It doesn't matter if they're worth a billion dollars. They all go through those same emotions. And I think being exposed to that has really made my life less stressful. Because when you're young, you're always like, am I doing this right? Imposter syndrome, all of these things. But talking to someone double your age, for example, Mark Randolph, I asked him, do you still feel imposter syndrome? And his response to me was absolutely every single day. And Mark Randolph is Netflix. Like Netflix is one of the most top five most recognizable brands. And he's just like, imposter syndrome is a good thing for you. Because it shows that you truly care about the thing that you're doing and you're truly questioning your capabilities to see if you are doing justice to the thing that you're believing in. And so I was just like, that's so refreshing. The fact that you're saying this to a 23-year-old, I don't care anymore. Like, I don't have imposter syndrome anymore. Like, it's just you learn to manage it because you learn from other people.
1: Well, you're associating with it differently. So Mm -hmm. it might be imposter syndrome in that you're analysing. And you're assessing, but you don't have a negative relationship with mm. it. And I think that's the word the word imposter people have a negative relationship mm. with it, don't they? It's um because I'd imagine you still you know, and I do, and I know most people will not necessarily second guess themselves, but but challenge themselves to say, well, am I am I ready for this? Mm. What do I need to be ready? What is what's going on in, in my world that helps me uh be effective here? Right. Or you know, is this the right path to even take? Mm. And I'd I'd imagine you don't. That still happens, you know. You're a thinker.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think a lot. I used to be a huge overthinker. Um, but I think the philosophy that really helped me, and it's one of my favorite quotes, is, "It's things like anxiety, things like you know sadness. These aren't things you have you you're allowed to overcome. These are things you're there to manage. Yeah. You'll never overcome these because they're human things. Like, for example, people like, oh, I, 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 my goal is happiness. I want to be happy, but happiness is a fleeting emotion. Like, you could give me a Cadbury chocolate right now, I'll be happy." for like two minutes. And then afterwards I'm like, I have to go to the gym. That's so many calories. I've lost the happiness in two minutes. My goal is like fulfillment now. Like the fact that I can manage these emotions, not overcoming that I need to be, you know, not sad and happy, but managing them and be like, it's part of the process. I want to feel fulfilled. And I think fulfillment has become that sort of um, target emotion, target feeling where after, after a long day, I can be like, you know what? Everything I did today, I'm fulfilled. I don't have to be happy. And I don't have to be exhilarated. I'm fulfilled. I did everything I could.
1: So what does Jahin do to break away? To, you know, you've had a fulfilling day, but you're a busy human being. You have a lot on. There's lots of balls in the air. There's a lot of learning. There's a lot of growth. New challenges. How do you
0: uh how do you manage that? Toughest question you've asked me. <laughs> I it's one of the things I'm truly trying to work on. I don't have many things to switch off. I don't know how to switch off, honestly. Like I think I'm obsessed with what I do, and similar to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, a lot of you know people in different roles, I struggle to switch off. And so for me, I think the easiest example that comes to mind is I need like strenuous movement-based activities to switch off. For example, I'm a huge cricket fan. I love my cricket. If you put me in the nets to bat against like five, six bowlers for four, five hours, I love it. That's heaven to me. That's me completely switched off from the stress of life. That's just focus on a ball coming. I have to hit it. Otherwise, I'm gonna get injured. Otherwise, it's gonna hit my body. I'm gonna start crying because it's hurt, it's hurting. Strenuous activity. So things like jet skiing. I love jet skiing. It's something we recently did with our team a couple of months ago, but I've started doing it, doing it quite often in New South Wales. It's just non-stop that exhilaration, that energy on a jet ski. Um, go-karting. Like I can't not focus on go-karting, otherwise I'll crash. I can't think of work because I need to focus on this activity. So for me to switch up, it's quite counterintuitive. I need to focus on other high energy, high focus activities. And that's what calms me down. That's what makes me enjoy um, that element of life rather than, you know, focusing on work the entire time. Yeah, interesting. So if I was to
1: see you down the nets down at Ingleburn...
0: And, That's heaven for me. Yeah, like
1: that is me living my best life. So are you, are you calm? Are you, are you aggressive? Are you, are you what's, what's your
0: temperament? Yeah, I would say I'm calm. Like obviously when you bat, sometimes you have to have aggressive shots, defensive shots. In that context, I, I like experimenting. But I'm just calm. Like I don't even, it's like I'm in a flow of like this magical state of, of just, this bowl is coming, I'm going to bat, I'm going to bat. Is this a good shot? No, it was it was alright. Shot. Is this a horrible shot? Alright, do something better. But that flow state of no emails, no um, responsibilities. I'm just in that net for however many balls that those people can ball at me. Mm. That's my flow state. That's my level of relaxation, tranquility. It sounds, you know, quite, quite, you know, uh, shocking to people because they can see that and they're like, this feels like you know work. This feels like a difficult game to play. But for me, that's the joy of it. Like I love sports and I guess sports has been the only way I could completely switch off from work. Like movies, I can watch Netflix shows and stuff, but I'll always have my phone on me. I'll always be checking emails or doing emails while watching a show. I can't completely switch off, but activities, there's just something about it. So you can't switch off or you choose not to? I think that's I need some therapy for that honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I need to identify do I want to or like is there something wrong with me like
1: <laughs> yeah well, I can understand it and I think there's a lot of listeners you know a lot of people in this world who um have created habit around um the phone around the email and um and that's not for anyone to judge whether that's good or mm-hmm. bad it's just whether it's appropriate and I wonder you know does that do you find by it being switched on is a problem? Because you you seem to enjoy what you do.
0: Yeah, no, I I I don't think, see see it as a problem at all. Like I think one of my fundamental values in life is service to others, um, which obviously comes from like being compassionate and kind to others. But it also comes from the idea of outputs. Like the reason I love posting on Instagram or LinkedIn and sharing the journey isn't because I just want to create a personal brand. and people are telling me, it's because I want to show other people this entire journey i want to serve other people and show this is this is what you can do as well like let me do the hard work so that there's a platform for that so in that sense i i I enjoy it like i enjoy being in that zone like you give me a day off like three days i struggle i'm just there like contemplating life and i'm like what am i doing with my life whereas if i'm in work i feel like myself i feel like i'm progressing i'm serving other people um so it's something i'm I guess I'll learn more once I have like a wife and kids, for example, maybe, but currently it's just, I, I'm obsessed with this. I genuinely love work and progress and seeing my inputs actually translate into outputs. Like that vision is addictive.
1: Yeah. I love it. I love it. And it's not uncommon for, uh, you, you, you go and have a look at most very successful people in their field. They're very obsessed with, and there's an attachment, there's some, some driver or some connection in my experience with all these interviews we always see it mm. We see it all the time it's just the obsession shows up in different ways but i'm i'm wondering so if we fast forward let's say 10 years from now and we mm. put a put a little incubator in today Ooh. all your stuff what do you hope it says to the world what do you hope it teaches the world because i know you're very you're keen on service
0: mm. keen
1: on impact and in 10 years from now we go and open that box and we go all right did it do what it, you wanted to do how will you know
0: yeah absolutely i think the best way i can describe that is you know it's a whole question of you know in your deathbed i, mean, I know 10 years is like i'll be what 33 but it's
1: still around <laughs>
0: hopefully I mean, we'll see with climate change and all that stuff um, <laughs> but in terms of like what i want to be known for and i've had this internal dialogue about this question quite a lot in the last few months where i'm like what is the end goal like what is the outcome number one i realized there is no end goal i want to continuously work I don't believe in retirement. I, I believe in the idea that if I, if the work is meaningful enough, I'll do it. But what do I want to be remembered for? I realized, especially in the last few months of like reflecting, there isn't any title. There isn't any, you know, achievement or accolade or Nobel Prize. It's more about, I want to be remembered as that guy that gave it everything he had. The guy that gave it 110%, more than humanely possible. Like that is the goal where it's like, I've left everything on this earth. I could not have tried even harder to achieve this goal of mine or this service. Give it everything and that's it, I've left. Like that is the goal. Again, you mentioned 10 years and I'm talking more of like 80 yeah, year, but that's sort of the goal, to leave it all behind, to give it as much as I can and see, see, see the legacy we can leave behind.
1: Yeah. I love it. Well, you're starting very well, my friend. We're trying, we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, um, pro- we're probably heading towards a, you know, the later of our discussion and there's a couple of questions i normally ask but there's one for you in particular yeah. i'm curious about because i think a lot of people are going to look at you they can you can clearly see that you're open to and vulnerable to learning you're growing but you are also having a good bloody crack um what's a bad day for you what what's what would really frustrate or has really frustrated you you come to the end of the day and go that was that was shit that really got to me, it's not my best um, or or I really felt that was not where I wanted to be.
0: Yeah, I think my worst days, the common characteristic is when I'm inauthentic, when I know I want to say this, I know I want to communicate in this way, but I decide not to, to in many cases people please or, you know, be afraid of confrontation in this specific situation. Like there's been times where I'm exhausted, where I'm like, you know, what I know I have to do it in this way, but I'm just tired. It's been a long week. I don't want to create conflict. So I'll just ignore it when I know I have to do it, do that. So I think a bad day for me is when I'm going against my values, when I'm not showing up a hundred percent, when I'm, you know, being inauthentic to my leadership and who I am and how I communicate. And those are the days where I don't get sleep, where I'm just like uh, up at night, 1am, like, I should have said it it would have resolved this issue or I know this is going to come up in a few weeks or this deal would have gone through if I did XYZ. So if I'm inauthentic, I've realized that doesn't help. And so for me, especially in the last few months, it's been quite transformational um, where I'm just like, this is now my philosophy. I'm going to be as authentic as possible. I'm going to make sure everything I do is the way I want to do it. If people resonate with it, fantastic. If they don't, then you know it's it's not my problem, and so far it's been so good.
1: Well, they're on they're 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 on your bus, and if they don't perhaps buy into it, you need know, you're happy to find someone else that buys into you and buys into sort of your thing. vision.
0: And the bus is great; it's got popcorn and everything. Like we provide good support. I get, show up as much as I can, but it's just like when I give it my all, I realize, it, like if I if I give it my all, there's no other room, you know, for me to be like, oh, I can give you more of this. I'm at my capacity. So it's like I've realized, and I've learned this as well from learning from other business owners and stuff. In a way, you have to be ruthless sometimes. Well, it's it's, just, it's a horrible word to say, ruthless, but you have to make decisions which will ruffle feathers. You might be disliked sometimes, but you have to be okay with it. And for me growing up, I was a big people player, shy kid, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. But now I've realized I have a vision. I know what I want to do. I've got great people around me. If other people don't want to be in, in in that vision that's okay each to rather, each to their own I will mind my own business I don't want any dramas in life mm-hmm. so that's sort of um the, the vision now to be as authentic as possible in my leadership in my personal life as much as I can
1: people pleasing is um you know something that I've also at times just been challenged by and at times the reminder I get is it's kind to be clear mm-hmm. um and sometimes to be clear needs to be direct honest sharper um, because otherwise the message doesn't land. Um, what's your version of people pleasing? Where do you, get, where do you find you get, might get caught up?
0: Yeah, I think for me, people pleasing is, you know, doing things that are – or saying things and doing things that I usually wouldn't do. And pe- people notice this. Like I've got a very, very identifiable personality. I'm very high energy. I'll come in and be like, hi, hello, happy Monday. This is what we need to get done, all these things. If I, if I steer away from that, people can, can tell. And the only times I'd ever steer away is if I'm nervous, if I'm scared, or if I'm people-pleasing. Like when those emotions, those fleeting emotions come, people can pick up on it. And so I've had people call up, call me up and say, hey, you know, what's happening?
1: That's not like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah something's
0: okay. off. And yeah. then I'm like, number one, I feel very grateful that people care about me enough to actually pay attention to those things. But two, number, number two, I realize that's my authentic leadership. If I veer away from it, people can tell. So I know, I guess, almost like a formula of my personality and how I can show up. That's just, that's just all I have to do consistently. Because people resonate with it. When I steer away from it, people don't resonate with it. So I think that's brought a lot of comfort to me, whereas I realized, you no, know, I do love being charismatic. I love that this personality, um, but people pleasing just doesn't suit me. It's just, it doesn't feel good for myself and people notice it, especially my close people. They call me out immediately and they're having that support system and that honest conversation. It's, it's a game changer. It's frightening getting feedback and getting told that, you know, what you're doing is wrong. But it's so refreshing when you actually reflect on it and you're like, oh, wow, you're right.
1: Well, I think it's a real privilege. What well, the alternative is, they don't say anything. Yeah. And it bites you later and it hurts more.
0: I agree. Mm. But as a young person, you don't want to hear things like that, right? Like when I first got feedback, um, again, I got the job as CEO when I was 22. I hated feedback. I was frightened of feedback. I was like, don't tell me feedback. Like you're telling me I'm doing something wrong. Like it's frightening as a young person. And so for me, I've had to sort of condition myself to realize Feedback is good. Feedback is good. Feedback is good. Now, my brain's like, oh, it's just, it's constructive feedback. I wouldn't take, like, one of my favorite quotes that one of my mentors told me when I was about 21 years old he's like, never take constructive feedback from someone who didn't con- construct anything. If somebody that hasn't built something or, you know, gone through the same wavelength and struggles as you, why are you listening to them? They're, they're, they're just saying it for the sake of it. And so, being very selective way, where you listen feedback from, consume it. Don't get me wrong. It's good to have knowledge acquisition, but knowledge execution should be from the people that you trust and you can actually utilize that and learn. are in the
1: game with you or, or have done yeah. that game before. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more because it's yeah, you've got to question where why is that feedback actually coming at mm-hmm. you in the first place. And that, you know, in fairness in in terms of our staff, that's not necessarily always about what they've constructed, but it's their experience with it as mm-hmm. well. And and our jobs to cultivate an environment where they can do their best work. So the feedback for you, is it is the feedback you look for both how they experience and what you need to create for them as much as what they're getting done? Or how do you where do you look for feedback more?
0: I think fundamentally the feedback that I look for is how can I be better to make you better? Um, I know for me personally in terms of my career goals, I always want to be in leadership. I, I'm addicted to leadership. I love the fact that I can say something, people will be influenced positively by it. And so I know this is a long game. This isn't just me at 22, 23, 24, 25. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I love this. Mm-hmm. And so I always try to get feedback on what can I do to be better? Um, and the reason I ask that question is because I know eventually, hopefully God willing, when I'm 25, 30, 35, I can look back and say, I got that feedback when I was 22 or 23. This is why I do it now for you to make your life better. Because that person who was one of my you know, teammates told me that feedback and I learned from it and I actioned it. I see it as a long game. And so feedback for me is always, how can I be better to make you better so that I can, you know, in a way selflessly support you but also selfishly learn it.
1: Take that on and become better. I love it. Um, mate, you've been dropping a lot of wisdom today and we, you know, we've gone into different different rabbit holes. Um, but, I've, you know, I, I've i really valued the what you're bringing to the table. You know, to me, what I've loved about today is for someone who's early in their, career to have so much wisdom at this stage so rapidly you you clearly um pay attention uh and i get i get the sense that you're you're always curious about um you know where you can learn so that you know that piece around feedback i can see that's a very honest genuine representation of who you are Um, mentorship right and this might be sort of the mm. something to leave our audience with that i think would be very. i'd imagine you're a person that's attracted a lot of good people around you um in a very quick piece of a uh, sh- short period of time what has been um some of the better ad- pieces of advice you've received and perhaps who from um with respect to your journey so far
0: Mentorship is invaluable. Um, I remember one of my mentors, funny enough, ironically, once told me when you're 35 or 40, when you have a huge career, your leadership and your skills is a culmination of everybody you spent time with, everybody who you concentrated and gave your time and efforts to. So I think mentorship and surrounding yourself with people is exceptional. It's like it's such an important thing, especially for a young person. For me, I have a mentor for every area of my life. I don't just think of mentors as a career side or a business side every area so I'm, I'm talking about like i've got a mindset coach who i see every week i've got a business coach I've, I've got a fitness coach who focuses on my you know if i'm following my goals and going to the gym i've got a coach on the cultural side of things like i come from a south asian community and in my personal life there's a lot, there's a lot of things i have to take into consideration so i've got someone who i go to and i'm like hey this is something that's going on what do i do So I I like to think of mentorship as like advisors, like a board of advisors for your life where in every area of your life that you need support. And I think as a human being, we should need support in every area of our life. There shouldn't be anything that's perfect. Mm -hmm. So I try to have a mentor for every area where anytime I need someone, I will go there and receive mentorship, but also provide anything I can to them as well. You know, I think mentorship is a two-way framework. Like for example, the Australian School of Entrepreneurship, we've got an initiative called the Growth Academy or anybody who goes through all of our programs or young people like 20, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, they go through the mentorship where everything I learn from my mentors, I try to give back to a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old to say, hey, I've got one hour on my calendar. You want to learn about how to do a TED Talk or you know, this goal of yours? Here's what I learned. And I try to make it as accessible as possible. So it's like almost like a generational thing where it's like, I learned from this person who's a really good you know, mentor, someone I appreciate, now I want to spread it down this this wavelength. Um so I think mentorship is invaluable because I know when I'm, you know, again, 18, in my deathbed, I will know everything I've done is because of culmination of people I've spent my time with and listened to and actually understood. Um, so yeah, I would highly encourage people to have mentorship, but also have like advisors in your life. Because when you go to someone and say, Hey, oh, I want you to mentor me, it's a huge commitment. It sounds like something like, oh, what do you want me to do? Like speak to you every week. That's it's crazy. So instead of going in and saying, hey, mentor me, think of it as like they are advisors in your life. Can you advise me on this? That's a lesser of a commitment. Communication-wise, it makes them psychologically feel like, oh, I don't have to give so much of my time. I'm just here to advise you, give you advice. You know, If you want to hear something, I'll go up on a one-hour one call. That's it. So I think finding advisors, that sort of mentality and approach is invaluable. Beautiful. I'm going to squeeze you a bit harder because I, I would like to hear specifically a piece of advice that you've needed. Oh, I've been given so many pieces of advice um, over the years. I think the one that comes to mind, and again, this recency bias, I, I've received so many incredible pieces of advice. The one that comes to mind and the one that has helped me in the last couple of months is one of my mentors who um, supported me when I was 18, 19. When I was at uni in optometry school. Um, I was going through a lot Like when I realized this career is like a blur. Like, I don't know what I've done in the 18 months. I've just been doing it. I've been on TV, I'm doing this, all of that. I remember going to him and I was just like, it feels like a blow. Like, what have I actually done? Like, I can't even process it properly. And that, adv- and the advice that he gave me was, you don't learn anything from experiences. You learn from reflecting on those experiences. So you could experience a hundred things, good things, bad things, horrible things, crappy things, whatever it is. But if you don't just sit down and reflect on it and say, hey, I experienced this. This was good because of this. Or I need to avoid this by doing this. That's how you grow. And I think that's been transformational for me because I was always like, I need a good LinkedIn profile, accolades, experience, this, Great, great. But I don't think in the last 18 months, I've sat down with myself and actually reflected on what has happened since optometry school 18 months ago to breathe six months later to ASE in the last one year. So I think reflecting on it, especially as young people, you don't do this. I don't think, I, I, don't, I barely know a young person who sits down and just like, oh, what did I do this week? Where did my time go? Unless like you're very much into the self-development side, most people in my friend circle and group don't do it. And so I've sort of pushed that aside and I'm just like, you know what? I want to reflect more. I want to actually sit down and be like, life's going by quickly. How do I actually feel about it? What went right? What didn't go right? How can I be better? So I think um, the whole quote of not just experiencing things, you're not learning from experiences, you learn from reflecting on those experiences. That's the only way experiences matter. Otherwise, it's just a blur and you're just like, I'm 40 now, what's happening with my life? I
1: love it, mate. It's um, it's something actually that I I really believe in, and I'm glad you landed on that because it's um, without that reflection, there's no no progression. You can't course adjust. All you're doing is acting, and you probably are. You know, most people normally are reflecting at some point. They're analyzing, but the depth of that reflection and the quality of that reflection is a good question. And I know for myself, that's been a big change as well. You know, being okay that a particular experience wasn't okay and then finding what I could do mm. with it um and knowing that maybe I could do it better or differently um and slowing down you know we had um I was just reflecting on a comment uh John one of our guests a few John Ibrahim was talking about how religiously every day two hours by himself mm. you know and very successful entrepreneur who and this is not uncommon this is just a, an example of a very specific model of this time frame that he invests to write down some notes or journal or reflect on the the previous experience of what it all means and why it matters uh, and to sharpen his axe so to speak so to pick that up at such a young age is really powerful mate but um really really good role modeling because I love what I, what I really love about your story for anyone listening is that you know you're um you're making it work you the the runs are on the board hmm. um my final question and this yes. is a uh um uh a really um interesting question that you know, I have no idea where you'll go with, and I'm curious on it. What have you changed your mind on?
0: Right. Ooh.
1: So, what's it maybe a key belief? Yeah. Key perspective of the world? Something? You know, not you know. Put the caveat: it's not you know. I changed my mind to get a later bus or something. Yeah, okay. it's something you've really changed your mind on.
0: Wow, that's a, it's a deep one. Um, I think what I've changed my mind on, and I, and I relate back to career again because I feel like it's such a huge proportion of my life. I've realized your career, like, I don't know how to say this without sounding controversial because like a lot of people, you know, like we live in a generation where it's like, you know, well-being and work-life balance. But I've realized your career in many cases is the most important thing for your well-being. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people's career, for example, it's a nine to five. If you don't enjoy your career, that nine to five period that you're working, obviously you won't enjoy it. But then after that five, you're going to come home and Stress about it from five to 10. You're going to tell your partner, your family, work was horrible, work was crap, I don't know what to do. You'll be stressing about it five to 10. Then you'll lose sleep over it during that eight hour period that you're supposed to sleep and you'll do it again. If your career is something you're not enjoying, your weekends are going to suffer. You're going to go to a a brunch with your friends on on a Saturday and be like, how's work? A horrible, and go on a two, three hour, you know, uh, you're going to talk about it and go ramble on about it. So I've realized a career isn't just a Monday to Friday thing. If you can find something meaningful, your career is your life. Your career is the most important foundational thing. Obviously, family, well-being, fitness is incredibly important. But those things come around it. If you can find something that you do, which we spend so much time during during the week on our career, on on our work, on the job that we have, if you can make that enjoyable or tolerable or at at any level, um, you know, meaningful, that will impact every other aspect of your life. Because I have friends who don't enjoy their nine to five and their job, and their, their, their relationships have suffered because they go on date nights, for example. What are they talking about? Not, you know, this bonding and thing. Work was crap. Work was difficult. Work was all of these things. So I think I didn't realize that. I used to think, oh, career is just a nine to five thing, and you switch off, you do your other passions, you do painting and all these things. But then I realized the most foundational part of your life. Is this part that you spend most of your time on? As as an average human being, you spend most of your time on in your on your on your job. If you can make that meaningful, everything else becomes easier because it it ripple effects and you know overarches into every other part of life. And I didn't know that because I thought career is just like a stepping stone. It's just happiness and self care and self love. That's all that matters in life. But no, the foundational part. I truly believe if you get that right, everything else gets impacted well
1: profound mate i uh couldn't couldn't agree more it's uh, and the way you frame it so easy to understand Mm. it's it does it touches everything um and if we know isolation where they're trying to have well-being and not acknowledging that that's associated with all stages of our day Mm. and our life it's a very odd way to think about well-being isn't it um but yet we do that Mm. we sort of put it in a box as society and say well being's there and then jobs there yeah but it's uh I like it, mate. It's really, really cool, mate. I've really enjoyed today's conversation, and, and just like, thank you for allowing me to to quiz you and challenge you. Because, yeah, I think in in terms of asking those questions, you know, I, my job was to get in your head, um, and I think my job for for a listener is to find the uniqueness of the way you think and uh, what has made you who you are today because your re- results and as you said before those those uh, actions or or things you've done they're uh are a re- representation of great success but it's um it's how you got there that's the really question the really interesting part so mate really enjoyed it I've, uh, i i wish you all the best too i think uh i suspect this is this stage of uh, your journey is just uh, all beginning mate but, uh, <laughs> i'm really excited to see where you go
0: fantastic thank you for having me